listener, this is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Teen Titan Wasteland. I hope you're enjoying your afternoon, or whenever you're listening to this, although I think wishing someone good afternoon is kind of taking the triage approach to polite greetings. Very few people have a good morning, and the evening kind of takes care of itself, so afternoon is really kind of the sweet spot for where my well-wishing might make the difference one way or the other. Anyway, are you ready to talk about some Teen Titans? Or, more specifically, are you ready to listen about some Teen Titans? I mean, you're welcome to talk to the podcast as it goes on. But really, it's it's more of a, more of a listening experience, generally. Ah, you guys probably know how to listen to a podcast. Let's get into this thing. Today's synopsis song is submitted by Zane Kipfmiller. Can't catch a break from time paradox shifts. Life is best on repeat at this synopsis. Thanks, Aid. Teen Titans number 39, June 1972. Awake, barbaric titan. Written by Bob Haney. Drotted by George Tusca. With inks by Nick Cardi. Teen Titan Roll Call. Robin. Wonder Girl. Lilith. Kid Flash. Speedy. Mal. Gnark. It's a slow day for crime, so the Titans are hanging out around the robo-skyscraper. The teens are all gathered around Wonder Girl and Gnark, who are about to have an arm wrestling match. Sweet. Despite not having a baseball hat to turn around backwards, Donna still manages to go all over the top and easily defeats her time-displaced opponent. Maybe a little too easily. At first, she's all pissed because she assumes that Gnark let her win because she's a female, but it turns out that since his last appearance, Gnark has gone all sophisticated and decided not to use his caveman strength on the grounds that being strong is barbaric. Oh good, a teen titan vowing never to use their powers. This will end well. Also, seems like a better way to eschew a test of strength would be not to compete in it, rather than just perform poorly. Also, also, Donna totally would have won anyway. The girl picked up Mount Rushmore! Gnark doesn't have time to debate the ethics or gender politics of throwing his arm wrestling match because he is late for his job at the Forbes Foundation. The Forbes Foundation is an organization dedicated to social research and the improvement of civilized life, where Gnark has apparently been employed for the past few months. Sounds sinister. I bet they want to enslave humanity. They also could use a more stringent vetting process for new employees because they forgot to ask Gnark, are you a time-displaced caveman? And it turns out that's a bit of a deal-breaker for them. When they find out that Gnark used to be a club-wielding crow magnon, he is fired, and all of his former co-workers start talking shit about him. What a bunch of dicks. That was like 20,000 years ago. Or maybe a couple of weeks ago, depending on your perspective. Either way, what a bunch of dicks. Our boy Gnark is super bummed out. Fortunately, Mr. Jupiter, the richest and therefore most trustworthy man in the world, has a brilliant plan to cheer up the newly unemployed cave teen. They're all going to the Southwest and dressing up as cowboys. Hooray! Mr. J has some mineral holdings out in the desert and needs to do a geological survey. He reckons that a change of scene will help cheer Gnark up. Yeah, not so much. Being out in the desert away from civilization just reminds Gnark that the world sees him as being an uncivilized barbarian. He gets super mopey about it. As the gang finishes up their geological survey, Robin asks Mr. Jupiter about the mysterious mountain off in the distance. Turns out that the locals named the mysterious mountain, Mysterious Mountain, and that it is very mysterious. And a mountain. Good to know. The Titans take their chopper into the nearby town of Flagstone to pick up some supplies. 
When they arrive, they're surprised to find that the town is completely abandoned. Maybe they're all off taking a mountain naming class somewhere. Lilith's powers tell her that there's something going on down at the bank, and when the Titans arrive, they find that the place is being looted by a bunch of jerkwad cowboys who have a helicopter that they painted a beak and some feathers on for some reason. It actually looks pretty badass. Anyway, the helicopter having jerkwads rob the bank while holding our cowboy costumed crusaders at gunpoint. Then they jump in their whirly bird, shoot and kill all of the Titans, and fly off into the sunset. What? Okay, so actually the teens are only pretending to be dead. Kid Flash used his super speed to intercept all of the bullets just before they hit the teen heroes. The gang changes into their costumes, the regular ones, not the cowboy ones, and piles into the Titan copter. Lilith uses her powers to track the bad guys, which I guess is a thing that she can do now. Turns out they're headed for the imaginatively named Mysterious Mountain. On the way, they look down and see that the desert landscape is littered with hundreds of dead sheep. Creepy. Mr. J surmises that there must have been a leak from the nearby government nerve gas depot, and that that is probably why Flagstone had been evacuated. Yeah, I guess that would explain the dead sheep. Of course, so would the fact that the middle of the desert is a really shitty place to raise sheep, but we'll go with the nerve gas thing. Lilith uses her psychic GPS to discover a hidden entrance to the mountain, which, like almost every mountain in the DC universe, is hollow. Inside the mountain, the Titans find an Indian Pueblo, which means that we get to see more of Bob Haney's nuanced portrayal of Native American culture. Great. He makes F Troop look like a Sherman Alexi novel. Mr. Jupiter introduces himself to the tribe's leader, who smacks him with a club. Yep, so far this is going about how I expected. Turns out that a few hundred years ago, the tribe had a run-in with some conquistadors, which was, predictably, pretty unpleasant. The tribe fled to the mountain, and has been living inside it ever since. Their experience with the conquistadors led them to the fairly reasonable conclusion that white people are evil, and that they should probably kill any that they run into. Fair enough. Oh, also they worshipped condors, and because the bandits whom the titans were chasing painted their chopper with a bird motif, they decided to let them stay unmolested in a nearby cave. The titans, on the other hand, just have a regular old helicopter, which this group of people who have been living in a cave for 300 years are totally unimpressed by. Kid Flash is about to use his super speed to help them escape, but Mr. Jupiter stops him, explaining that he can outrun bullets, but probably not arrows for some reason. Huh. Okay. The Titans are herded into a clay hut. Well, most of the Titans are herded into a clay hut. A still moping Ganark is left outside of the hut, where the cave dwellers hit him with sticks and try to humiliate him by making him put on a dress. Wait, are they a lost tribe of Native Americans or a college frat house? Were they fleeing conquistadors or a crusty old dean? Convinced that Ganark, having been thoroughly belittled and emasculated, does not constitute a threat, the tribe turns their attention to the Titans. They grab their clubs and line up outside the door of the imprisoned hero's hut, intending to make the doomed teens walk down the center of the aisle and be clubbed to death as they do so. Okay, seriously, if you substitute paddles for clubs, these guys are totally a frat house. Fortunately, Mr. J has a plan. He heroically shoves Lilith out the door and yells, Her first! What a great plan. When Gnark sees the first club strike his beloved Lilith, he snaps out of his funk and goes completely bonkers. The rampaging cave teen goes full-on Incredible Hulk and whoops the shit out of the entire tribe of xenophobic subterranean Native American frat boys. Hooray. In his state of berserker rage, Gnark turns on his companions and is about to kill Lilith. Oh no! But then he snaps out of it and doesn't. Hooray. Gnark's rampage earned the tribe's respect, and I guess they want him to be their leader or something. 
They lead the Titans to the cave the bandits had been hiding out in, but it turns out that the crooks accidentally drank some poisoned spring water and are now dead. Hooray? The Titans decide to keep the existence of the cave frat Indians a secret, and head back to their robo-skyscraper. Ganark is much happier now, realizing that a truly modern man must maintain a balance of brains, brawn, and psychotic murderous rage. Hooray. Then we get a backup story. After the Cat. Written by Steve Skeets. Drotted by Gil Kane. Reprinted from Hawk and Dove number 3, January 1969. Teen Titan Roll Call. The Hawk. The Dove. We get a brief recap of the origin of Hawk and Dove. Brothers Hank and Don Hall were in a real scrape and wished they had superpowers. A mysterious disembodied voice said, Okay, now you've got superpowers. Hawk slash Hank loves fighting and uses his enhanced speed and strength to fight crime. Dove slash Don hates fighting and uses his enhanced speed and strength to be paralyzed with indecision and ineffectually grab criminals without hurting them. There's a new criminal loose in the city. He's a cat burglar who dresses like a cat and calls himself the cat. Hmm. With an imaginative approach to naming like that, I wonder if he's from Flagstone. Hank decides to suit up as the hawk and do some punches at the cat and try to bring him to justice. Goes pretty much according to plan, except the part where the cat beats up Hawk, breaks a table over his head, and escapes into the night. Meanwhile, Don goes out to a coffee shop to meet up with some ladies named Ruthie and Linda. Some bikers start hassling them, and Don doesn't do shit. Then Hank shows up and punches the crap out of one of the bikers with almost no provocation. Hooray. The ladies are impressed with Hank and join him in calling Don a coward. A frustrated Don insists that his pacifism is not cowardice and leaves to go wander around the city being introspective. He hears some sirens and decides that this is a chance to prove his bravery. He changes into Dove and resolves to bring the cat to justice himself in some vague, non-confrontational way. Evil beware. When he arrives at the source of the commotion, he finds the police aiming a gun at the cat. Not wanting anyone to get hurt, he knocks the gun out of the cop's hand. Always a good idea. The gun goes off, but it turns out it was loaded with a tear gas grenade. The cat uses a confusion to try to escape, but one of the cops shoots him. This time, with a regular style gun. Dismayed that his interference caused a man to be killed, Dove runs off into the night. Dang. I think this might be the most realistic superhero story I've ever read. Idiot puts on costume, interferes with the police, someone gets killed. The end. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Hello, Corey. Hello. How's it going? It's okay. I am a little sore. My shoulder's a little sore. Mm. Don't recommend separating your shoulder to anybody out there, in case you're thinking of doing so. Yeah, Corey was patting himself on the back pretty hard. (laughs) (laughs) Last time I do that. Yeah. I was doing jujitsu, because he's a real tough guy. Yeah. So, Mm. what'd you think? I think, um, awake, barbaric titan. (laughs) Awake. Yeah, it was a real mixed bag. There was a lot I really liked about this, and then there was a lot that was kind of problematic and that has not aged well. Oh, like the Indians that don't know the difference between a helicopter and a bird if it's painted? Yeah, that's part of it. That was pretty bad. There was a lot about, man, Bob Haney should not write Native Americans. (laughs) Probably not. They did. He did not come across when he tried to do it in the ski resort issue. Mm-mm. And comes across, if possible, even worse here. Although, at least in this, it is a secluded, isolated tribe of Native Americans that has not interacted with the rest of humanity in hundreds of years. 
At least. And the and the one blurb of Spanish was actual Spanish, which is way better than the whole Zocaton issue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, if they could do that there, why didn't they just do that back then? Where everybody was speaking Spanish. Zocatan's a different country, though. Oh, they probably I mean, don't speak Zocatan, Spanish there. Yeah, no, it's like Belize. They where, don't speak Spanish in Belize? Well, English is the official language of Belize. I did not know that. Ah. Hmm. Ah, now who's the anthropologist? That would, uh... That's, it's well, still you. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a bachelor's degree. That doesn't really make me an anthropologist. It doesn't make you not an anthropologist. But I did know what the official language of Belize is, and you didn't. So I'm going to need you to give me that diploma. You can borrow it. Let's say that. <laughs> All right. A couple of things, as I said, have not aged well in this. Uh, Haney's portrayal of Native Americans is one. Yep. And... What I thought was the good work he did in terms of gender politics in the last issue is at least somewhat reversed in this. Oh, and it's a, even weirder than that is getting back to the, I don't think Oedipal's the right word, but the super creepy, like, mom-kid thing between Lilith and Gnark. Yeah. It's even, like, kind of worse it, in this issue. It's unsettling. It, it didn't strike me as much as I think it did you, but yeah, no, you're you're totally right. It's unsettling. But here's what I did like about the issue. Hmm. Uh, I like that Gnark is back in the comic book. Yeah, good for him. I missed Gnark. And trying a new turn at things. Yeah. Didn't go that great, but... It's weird. They basically turned him into the Beast from X-Men. Mm-hmm. At least the Silver Age Beast before he yeah, turned all blue. No Where Kelsey he's just Grammar. like... Yeah, he's kind of Kelsey Grammer. <laughs> he is actually kind of Kelsey Grammer. He's pretty similar to Kelsey Grammer. And for the first half of the issue, he's Fraser Kelsey Grammer. And then at the very end of the issue, he's a raging hulking menace, like actual Kelsey Grammer. <laughs> Gosh, I was making a joke, but that was, was actually quite prescient. Yes. It was weird. I, I like that he's back. I don't know how he got that job with the Forbes Foundation. Like, they just do not check any references, I guess. <laughs> or they're like, was this you in the newspaper? Were yeah. you were you ape boy? <laughs> it's like Yeah. It's like, okay, you're fired. But but that it's was their fault. They never ask their employees, were you a Cro-Magnon who is time displaced, but who only arrived in our society like three weeks ago, and is now crazy smart. Did they just use that though as an excuse to fire him because he made the people in the office uncomfortable, or was that the actual reason? Like, there's a conflict of interest because you were testified against bad guys, or no, no, no. It's not about him testifying against bad guys. It is just that he's. And it's not even an excuse. It's that he makes the other people in the office nervous because they're all racist against cavemen, mm -hmm. which is fucked up. They're like, and they are straight up dicks to him, and they make him cry, which is not cool. I know. But it is weird how he went from being like super derpy to super articulate and using big words. That yeah, seemed to using like stretch. exclusively big words. Mm -hmm. I think Robin just went whole hog with his experiment. Like when he was doing, remember when they first educated him, he was using the subliminal tapes and it was too much information too quickly. Mm -hmm. I think he just went back to doing that because mm. otherwise there's no way it's been like what, two months and he is now like talking like big words. Pretty impressive, going from, my name is John Gennark, and I live at <laughs> Jupiter Towers. Not even saying that, but having that be his lesson plan. You see the, the smug look on Gennark's face when he throws his arm wrestling match? That's, yep. Here's the thing. Hmm. About the arm wrestling match, his whole thing is that, oh, brute strength is so lame, barbaric. I want no part of that aspect of my character. Mm-hmm. Then why are you in a fucking arm wrestling match? 
Just say, like, no, I don't want to arm wrestle. Don't just be like, oh, sure, I'll do it, and then just be terrible at it. Come on. Mm-hmm. Because that Wonder Girl gets mad at him. Yeah, everybody gets mad at him. Yeah. And also, I think Wonder Girl probably could have beat him anyway, because she's fucking Wonder Girl. I know. It's that, a weird scene all around. Yeah, and they, they really, as I said, the gender politics in this issue are, are unsettling. Yeah. When they, because really the whole arc is, no, John Gennark, oh, you need to be a real man. You can't be a raging brute all the time, but you still need to be ashamed to wear a dress. Because that's like a whole big story point is is when the Indians. Native Americans <laughs> dress him up like dress a him up like a lady, yeah. and then laugh at him, and then laugh at him, and he's like, "Yeah, this is fine." I was like, "No, that should be his reaction to that." That's like, "Yeah, okay, I'm wearing a dress. What's the big deal?" But everybody else is just like, "Oh my god, what have they done to him?" Caveman in a dress? What? Caveman in a dress? You can't do that. Where's that guy? Dude. Gnark wearing any clothing should be weird and emasculating and confusing to him. Yeah. Like, yeah, whether it's a dress or a fucking three-piece suit shouldn't make a ton of difference to him. Was it the punchline of the other caveman story? No, it wasn't. There was some other thing that we went over in one of the past podcasts that had the same sort of moral ending of this one, which is that um, a man needs to have both brains and brawn. You remember that? The thing about the three... Like pillars, there's like intelligence and emotional. Am I totally making that up? Emotional intelligence and strength. It was in one of these. I don't know. Books. It sounds like maybe that you're mixing together a Tony Robbins speech and a Bruce Lee movie. It's not a bad idea for a matchup. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the the Bruce Lee versus um, John Claude Van Damme animation that somebody made? No, it's awesome. It's like the final fight scene from uh, is that Game of Death where he, he fights um, Chuck Norris in the Coliseum. No, that's Return of the Dragon. Plays Game Chuck- of Death is when he fights Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Which is also awesome. Yeah. Uh, they replaced Chuck Norris with Jean-Claude Van Damme somehow. Oh. And they, they did it really pretty well. But it's little... the same thing where uh, Bruce Lee just goes and breaks every, every one of his limbs uh, methodically? No, not exactly, but it's it's worth watching. Okay, maybe I'll check it out. Anyhow, I don't remember what I was saying, but... Uh, you were saying that we read a story that I don't remember in which there were... You needed emotional intelligence and strength and intelligence. I think it might have been like one of the little almost... Not a PSA type thing, but... One oh, of I know what you were talking about. There was a PSA where it was the guy was split into three aspects yes. and he all had to dance with a girl. We read that in here, right? Yeah. That okay. is... You are totally... I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. I... I don't remember what it was, but I totally remember it was a one-page thing at the yeah. end, and it was incredibly confusing. That's what this reminded me of. Yeah, okay, end. I get that. And yeah, and then him and Lilith go back to making out after she's like his mom. Ugh. It's weird, man. <laughs> also, Mr. Jupiter's a crazy asshole in this story, and I kind of <laughs> loved it. Like, there's a few things. Just first of all, like, uh, Gennark seems like he's upset about everything, about something. I've got the solution. Let's play cowboy. <laughs> yep. Let's all dress up like cowboys and go to the American Southwest. Oh, okay. But mostly, well, when they're all tied up and they're like, all right, we need somebody to run through this. We're going to have somebody run through this gauntlet and we'll beat them with clubs until they die. And he just shoves Lilith out the door and says, Lilith will go. <laughs> And everybody else was like, what the fuck, Mr. J? He's like, no, 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 it's cool. I have a plan. <laughs> I bet his backup plan was, okay, Robin will go. 
oh, his backup plan was we'll let Flasher uh, vibrate through the walls oh, and God. try and do his thing. Right, because also the reason why they didn't just have the Flash, who just went and swiped all of the bullets out of the air and kept them all from getting killed just in time, moving so quickly that nobody noticed that he was gone and was pretending to get shot too and swiped the bullet in front of himself. He's very fast. He's very fast, but just because he could do that to bullets... There's no way he can do that to arrows. Well, I think that Mr. J wanted to get Gnark out of his I can't use my brawn thing. <laughs> that was really Oh, his so whole... you think this was that was all part of his machinations and that Kid Flash totally could have done that. I think he thought Kid Flash can do this, but why don't I see if we can get Gnark to use his strengths? And if it ends up killing Lilith first, so be it. You know, hopefully that won't happen. That would it be came pretty close. It did like, come pretty close. They actually did hit her over the head with I, a club. I could see that being his thought process, though, you know what yeah. I mean? He's just like, I have to do this for the better of John Gnark. He didn't get a hallucinogenic balloon like <laughs> the other guys, so let me do something uh, uh, So do you think he has a special plan for Speedy next? Probably. Seems like oh, the kind of guy who's got, He's got a lot of plans. That's his style of leadership. <laughs> like, I'm going to bring greatness out of these people by doing really fucked up things to them. Here's another thing. Mm. You're right. If it's all part of Jupiter's plan, then this, I guess, would fall under that the umbrella of Mr. Jupiter having a master plan and that it's to bring Gnark out of his shell, and that's why Kid Flash isn't using his powers. But if they're coming up against a tribe of people that are very superstitious and believe that a helicopter, if it is painted like a bird, represents a condor, which is sacred to them, but if it isn't, then it's just some bullshit helicopter, right. which they've never seen before, but it's still... They're, they're not impressed yeah, by helicopters. Stupid machine. Unless somebody paints a beak on it. Yeah. Some wings. Yeah. Okay. Or stripes. Stripes. Yeah. Stripes and a beak. Yeah. Like a condor has. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> stripes and a beak. Right. Right. No, I gotcha. Bird 101. It seems like if they are that superstitious, then Kid Flash running around at super speed and being able to run so fast that he's invisible and doing stuff would maybe hold some sway over them. Or a Wonder Girl could fly. Or, or a Wonder Girl could, could fly. Or, yeah. them, or any other number yeah, of Yeah, there things. are so many different ways to get out of this that you're right. It must have been Mr. Jupiter having a plan. He's like, okay, guys, no powers. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right now, you can take a vow again. For another ten minutes. We really need Gnark to start punching people again, you guys. <laughs> He's like, the best puncher. And Wonder Girl's like, well... And, and she's, okay, well, he's a very good puncher. And we brought him from Caveman Times. I feel bad. I got him this job at the Forbes Foundation, and then they totally dicked out on him. Also, I'm pretty sure the Forbes Foundation never shows up again. Hmm. It seems like they're probably an evil like organization bent on world dominance. Like, anybody whose mission statement is social research to aid a more civilized future, wow. that seems like they're probably into, like, eugenics or some fucked up shit, you know? That could be pretty, pretty ominous, yeah. Mm. It's like those billboards that are for the Society for the Betterment of Tomorrow. I don't know if I've seen those. I, th- I think those are the ones that are like, gumption, pass it on. Oh, yeah, grit, it's for <laughs> What's <winners>. for dinner? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something, something like that. The worst one is there's a Native American-owned coffee shop that's right down the street from me. Right. And there was a giant billboard up directly in front of it with a giant picture of John Wayne looking down on the Native American coffee shop saying, never did much care for quitters. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then it was like, it was brought to you by that foundation and like the 
then there was like a tagline that was just stick to itiveness. It's good wow. or something. Wow. But like, I was like, God damn, that is, look where you're putting these things. Yeah. It was, it was very unsettling, but yeah, society, uh, Forbes foundation, okay. probably an evil organization. So yeah, maybe they're doing Godarka favor. Uh, sure didn't seem like it though. No, he was so sad. He's a sensitive. He's a very sensitive caveman. Man. Always on the, on the verge of tears and what I thought was kind of weird was it was Kid Flash who was a total dick to him. When he starts crying because he got let go, and it's really, it's a beautiful panel. It's actually one of my favorites, mm-hmm. where he's, he's welling up with tears and listening to people talk shit about him. Mm-hmm. I had that same haircut when I was a kid, pretty much. Yeah, me too. I literally had a bowl cut. My mom put a bowl over my head and <laughs> cut off everything that went I've seen, under I've seen the pictures. The bowl. It was a good look. Um, I think I carried it off pretty well. So, yeah, he's crying and Lilith is, like, consoling him. And she says, oh, the prejudiced stupid people. You're the same person they hired and admired until they found out. Now, baby, Lilith's here. And he says, sob. And then they say it's Kid Flash, but it is drawn to look like Robin in that it is somebody with dark hair. Uh But... I believe that's probably a coloring error because it is responded to as though it is Wally saying this. Mm. And it says, Mother Lilith to the rescue again. Can't you let him stand by himself? Mm-hmm. That seems like a Robin thing to say. In that it's being a dick. <laughs> yeah. But Gnark as he walks away says, Wally's correct. I'm a civilized man and as such must accept life's rebuffs with a mature calm. Excuse me. All of you. But I think if that was a couple of issues ago, that would have been Robin saying that. Mm-hmm. I think that at least temporarily, that LSD treatment that Mr. J gave him made him confront his fear of admitting failure. Maybe Robin's not a dick anymore. Maybe, maybe. And maybe Kid Flash is trying to fill that void. Could be. Don't want a dick vacuum. No, man. Nature abhors a vacuum. Ah, so do dicks. (laughs) Even a dick vacuum. The whole subplot with radioactive nerve gases. Mm. That's weird as shit. Yeah. When there's the panel with it where they are flying on their way to Mysterious Mountain, which, come on guys in the southwest, name that fucking mountain. But when they're flying on their way to Mysterious Mountain, and they look out of the helicopter and see hundreds of dead sheep. They're like, oh, that's weird. Yeah. I think that is, I, I think literally someone's reaction to that like, is... Weird scene, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Someone, we don't know who, says, weird scene, man. Huh. Hundreds of dead sheep lying around. Maybe living in Jupiter Towers, they see weird shit like that kind of a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was just a nerve gas thing. Yeah, don't worry about it. It's really all of that stuff seems to get taken in stride. And that the robbers are so gleefully murderous, which isn't something we generally see from Teen Titans villains. They're way more like Death Trap, where they kind of let inertia do the the damage of killing the Titans. But now these guys like, all right, we're getting away with our murder. What should we do? Yeah, why don't we shoot all the witnesses? You got it, boss. Just like very matter-of-factly. Oh, pragmatic. Yeah. Which I kind of appreciate. Sensible. Wish they'd been a li- if they'd been a little bit more sensible, maybe they wouldn't have all died. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have drank the poison Tainted water. Poisonous well water well that water. they somehow ended up putting radiation into. But just their well water, because I guess they had a separate well than the Native Americans were using mm-hmm. inside of the same cave. Mm-hmm. Some weird shit. Yeah, and they was like, oh, they just dug up this thing and it killed them. Yeah. Big deal. There is also, when they are first introduced to the Native Americans, Mr. J can tell that something is wrong because 
They were not dressed the way that Native Americans dress now. No Levi's. Levi's and boots and sombreros. (laughs) Yeah. He has a very specific image about Native Americans. Well, this is the Southwest, so. Oh, right. Southwest, right. Sombrero. Yeah. But he's like, no, they're dressed the way that Native Americans dressed hundreds of years ago, wearing matching primary color loincloth and headbands. Yeah, it's the coloration on the cover too is pretty weird because a couple of them are this like really dark copper, almost reddish color, and then oh yeah, the then... skin tones are are just it's a very mixed group. It's confusing. The cover in general is weird. For some reason, the clubs that they're using all have skulls tied to the top of them, which looks way more badass. It than... really does. Yeah, and Ganark looks like a fucking greaser. Yeah, like he doesn't really look like a caveman so much as he does like he's. Going to a rumble mm-hmm. with the sharks. Yeah, they need to draw him more AP. Yeah, I kind of like it. Uh, was there anything else in the main Titan story you wanted to talk about? It was a lot more cut and dried, I think, than the stories normally are, where we went in and then uh, the bad guys are doing this thing and they're all dead. And we can. Yeah, the fact that they're well, the fact that it ends with all of the bad guys dying. There, there is still kind of the loose ends of well, we're going to leave this Native American tribe alone and continue to let them murder anyone they come into contact with i'm cool with that yeah uh just you know leave mysterious mountain alone yeah gunark goes in as a coward and comes out as a real man i think too one thing that i guess was interesting about it was his dismissal of his fighting abilities and stuff wasn't necessarily that like he thinks strength is bad it's that he didn't think he could control it because when he finally loses his shit and, and beats up all the he Indians, can't control it he can't and he almost stabs uh that would make more sense the, if it was framed that way but it but really not, that's not at all not up until the end no not up until the end. very end and that that actually makes it make a little bit more sense doesn't make sense why he looks so fucking smug after losing that that arm wrestling match he's like i fooled wonder girl <laughs> <laughs> Looks like I'm terrible at arm wrestling, gang. Ha ha. Yeah, that's. I'm a real Fraser. I liked that this double issue didn't have uh, three stories in it. Or four? Yeah. It made it a little more digestible, I think. I knew the, the moving on, I knew the origin of the, the Hawk and Dove from talking to you. Right. But uh, it was nice to, to see it all just laid out in that one page. Yeah, well, the the Hawk and Dove story is actually a reprint from the 1969 story that was just Hawk and Dove number three, mm. uh, which had two stories, and that was the first of them. I actually have Hawk and Dove number three, too. Ah. And it is written by our old pal Steve Skates. Oh, okay. And it's a good story. It's not it, bad. It, it's It's fine. It's a little, uh, like, kind of the God in the Machine thing where they're like, we're trapped in a room. I wish we had powers. What's that? You wish you had powers? Oh, yeah. No, their origin? Yeah. yeah no, their origin is... You can't blame Steve Skates on that. That was Steve Ditko. No, their origin is just like, they gained their powers because a unknown voice, let's just call it the voice, decided they should have powers, so then they have powers. What are their powers? They're strong and fast. It's like generic superhero powers and total do's ex machina for origin. But, but but the story itself, 
is is not bad. Their reactions to the acquisition of these powers is pretty awesome too, because the powers are not only are they strong and fast, but it's like tied to their personality. Oh, totally. And so, and Dove is just like, ah, oh, what is this thing? Like, <laughs> <laughs> when when these costume first comes, oh. like, his hands are all like <laughs> flopping around, and he looks like totally disgusted. Yeah, he's like, I didn't want this stupid costume. <laughs> I want to wear a cool suit and bow tie. <laughs> And Hawk's like, fuck yeah, let's go punch people. Yeah. it's Here's the thing about Dove wearing a costume, too. Not his superhero costume, his everyday costume. He's a high school student who wears a suit and tie all the time. And it's like a nerdy suit and tie. Mm. And he goes and hangs out with all of these tough thugs. And everybody makes fun of him for being a pacifist. It's 1969 when this issue came out. There are plenty of people that Dove could have hung out with if he wanted to hang around pacifists. Yeah. Like, why didn't he go hang out with hippies? Yeah, I think he, he's too straight for that. Yeah, he's just a fucking nerd. He's a nerd, according to this issue, and, and it plays out in the rest of them, just not only a pacifist, but, like, super indecisive. Yeah, yeah. That seems to be his his defining characteristic more than pacifism, is just... He actually questions that in this. He's like, yeah. he's like, am I really a pacifist or do I just stand around and wonder what to do all the time? Well, and that I feel like comes up in most of the Steve Skates written stuff. You notice I'm saying Skates? I had a... I did. I had Nicholas Prom hmm. guest start on one of the bonus episodes that we did. And it turns out that his name is Skates. So I can't Not sing Skates. The things I bought at Skeets song anymore. No, no. And I can't say it to all y'all Skeets, Skeets, Skeets. <laughs> Bummer. I mean, I still can. It's good time. I'm still gonna. All right. There are certain names I decided to mispronounce. He also told me there was a guy named Joe Samichson. It's apparently Samaxon or something like that. But I like Samichson because then I get to pretend his dad is a sandwich. Yeah, I get it. Which is fun. I see where you're going. Yeah, it's a good time. All right. But that's something that I think comes up in the skate stories a lot with the Hawk and Dove thing, where it's Dove's indecisiveness and he goes back and forth and it gets a little bit frustrating to me. That it's just like, no, this was just his arc in the last issue, and then it came to a resolution, and he realized that, no, this is the way he needs to be. Is there ever an arc in the, I don't know how much of this their their storyline you're familiar with, but it seems like they're going for some sort of a, a dialectic of the two, where like they're both too extreme, and eventually there'll be some way of crime fighting that synthesizes their... Pass it always seems like there should be, but I think it just kind of maintains their their dynamic, and it just gets frustrating because it's just like, seriously, neither of what you are going to learn anything from the other. Like, you're still the biggest asshole in the fucking room, and you're still just a wishy-washy dweeb. And they do a pretty terrible job in this issue, so yeah, Hawk, they're bad gets, at their Hawk gets beat up and totally trashes the, the place yeah. that the cat's robbing, and, <laughs> and, then, and then Dove basically... Almost tear gasses the entire crowd of the cops and the and, and at least to the guy that he was trying to save getting shot by the police. <laughs> yeah, and he was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, no, they of... are terrible at their jobs. <laughs> the worst. I don't feel like that gets emphasized quite enough. It doesn't. Um, just... And the cops are like, "Hey, we want to talk to you." And he's like, "I don't want to talk to you." <laughs> yeah. And he runs away. <laughs> I don't want to talk to anybody. And then he jumps over a fence. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty great. There's also a couple drawings of, of, there's one of him and maybe one of the cat, the villain from the story, also jumping out of windows, like, butt first. Did you <laughs> notice that? Yeah. It's like, that's a weird perspective. I, yeah. Normally in modern comics, you're used to seeing, like, uh, ladies 
bots prominently displayed. Right. No, but, was, uh, you don't often see yeah. guy bots. Well, there was an act in 1970 where it was equal time for butts. Oh, okay. The equal butts. The equal butts act. Accord. Okay. Yeah. It didn't end up passing. They thought it was going to pass then. So a lot of these were printed with the assumption that the mm. equal butts act would go through Congress. Right. But it ended up getting held up by the Supreme Court. Typical. Exactly. And you know what? Hmm. It is now what? 2016? Mm-hmm. We still don't have equal butts. No, we don't. Thanks butts. a lot, Obama. Butts for everyone. Butts for all. Yeah. A butt in every pot. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. When they're at the bar, mm. or I'm sorry, coffee shop, but it is totally a fucking bar. It's a bar. It's a bar. And Mover and his pal are being such dicks to Those the ladies and are. then to Don. Mm-hmm. It really seemed like they were setting that up to be more of a thing. Especially mm-hmm. Mover's reasonable pal. Mm-hmm. I was like 90% sure he was going to turn out to be the cat. Or one of them would turn out to be the cat. Yeah, because they were all worried about the fuzz. Yeah. Man. He's like, no, calm down. And like, especially like Mover's fairly reasonable pal who was just like, hey, Mover, these ladies aren't interested in you. How about we leave? Yeah. It's like, it seemed like they were saying, it's like, oh, okay, so I get it. We're supposed to kind of like this guy, but then it turns out he's the cat. Uh Nope. Nope, just Nothing. That. Just, they're just two guys in a bar. One of them is named Mover. Yep. He's a biker. And gets punched in the face by Hawk, mm-hmm. which impresses Ruthie and Linda. Mm-hmm. I get very, I got very frustrated with, yeah, you're right. They're both terrible. They're both <laughs> terrible at their jobs and they're both terrible people. I want to root for Dove, but he's just so fucking unlikable. He's really annoying. Yeah. Fucking dweeb. Yeah. I kind of want to bully him. I'm not a bully. He probably does get a fair amount of that. I'm sure he does. I'm sure if I... If I his brother is such a dick to him. His brother is a total dick to him and is fucking moving in on the girl that he likes. Mm-hmm. That's not cool. Yeah, and then the girl likes him because he punched Mover. Because he punched Mover in the face. Yeah, she's like, oh, you're a real guy. Yeah. Not like your bow tie wearing brother. Yeah. I wonder if that they chose this issue to reprint where it was just like, see, Gnark is... Is what these two should be. If Ganark was split into two people, uh, he would be Hawk and Dove, and they fucking suck. But where he's one guy, who's brains and brawn, mm-hmm. and emotional intelligence, he's gonna dance with Lilith. Yeah, and defeat, like, 20 natives. Yeah, and 100 sheep. <laughs> well, he didn't. The bank robbers killed the sheep. Oh, okay. But he killed the, Oh, no, he didn't kill the bank robbers. Bank robbers just kind of killed themselves. Yeah. They did a bad job, too. Yeah, the bank robbers didn't really need to be there at all, except for, I guess, to lure them to the mountain. To, yeah. That was pretty cool, actually, how they had to fly their chopper sort of That was a neat little trick. Tunnel. Yeah, when they there's an opening into the Magic Mountain. Mystery Mountain. <laughs> okay. Mountain of Mystery? Well, uh, mysterious mis- Mountain. That's it. Yeah. That is goes under a waterfall, but there's just a tiny little crack there. And Lilith insists that they bring the helicopter lower. And as it did, the rotors of the helicopter forced the water pressure down. And you saw that there was enough space for them to fly right in there. And that was actually pretty cool. Yep. It was a neat idea. Mm-hmm. Haney does a nice job here. There's also, he gets a little purple in his prose, but I, I kind of enjoyed it. In his initial introduction to the storyline, a savage lies sleeping inside every man. The veneer of civilization is thin. But in the case of Gnark, the T.T.'s wild child, 
this veneer becomes like a steel trap, imperiling even his beloved comrades. When bizarre happenings send across a chasm of danger, the despairing cry, Awake, barbaric titan. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yep. I liked it. I enjoyed it as well. Yeah. Nice yeah. job, Haney. Reminded me, and a lot of his sort of intro things remind me of what I would think like a old-timey like radio show introduction sounds like. Oh, yeah. No, I can see that. So, you ready to move into the minutiae? Let's. All right. So, what was your favorite slang? I felt like this was a little thin on actual slang, but there, but there was a lot of dialogue that I that I I thought was interesting. There, there was some pretty good slang too, though. Okay, what did what did you have? So, of the main story on page five, when um they they think it'll cheer up Ganark by bringing him to the to the wilds of the southwest, <laughs> and he's really not feeling it. No. That was a bad plan. Yeah, and they go to check on him, and he's just sitting there moping, and they're, you know, they're like, how do you like it? And he's like, it's so raw and uncivilized, it repels me utterly. And then he just turns away and mopes. <laughs> I picture him saying that, like, the Mike Myers character, Dieter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, there's another one, I think it's Wonder Girl, who's talking about, after the sort of climax of the story, where Gnark almost stabs Lilith with a knife that he took from the Indian guys and then and then doesn't uh-huh. and then they they make out instead right and uh that kind of Wonder Girl's kind of into that and she's like oh it was so deadly and so beautiful <laughs> yeah I was just realizing that I like saying the Dieter thing I think Gnark's outlook on life I think he might be Werner Herzog <laughs> Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Just like the whole, like, nature is out to entirely kill us, and civilization is the only refuge we have from the nature, and man's nature itself, which will ultimately destroy us. Even the birds are crying. (laughs) Exactly! Yeah. Dude, I think Gnark might be Werner Herzog. Hmm. I now want to reread all of the dialogue in... Werner Herzog accent. So maybe this story was the genesis for Fitzcarraldo? Was that Probably. the one where he brings the boat over there? Yeah. Yes, yep. it is I whom you see reported upon in that public journal. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's settled. Good yeah, Gnark is Werner Herzog. Herzog. Okay, I like my favorite dialogue, or my favorite slang. So when the evil dickwad robber cowboys have their guns pulled on the Teen Titans, mm-hmm. Mal says... Like Zap, we're covered, man. Mm-hmm. Just like they do in the cowboy flicks. Uh, I thought that was pretty good. That was good. Uh, I also really did like the looking out of the helicopter at hundreds of dead sheep and saying, weird scene, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty casual. But I think my favorite slang that was used was by John Werner Herzog Gnark. <laughs> okay. When he is going full Gnark on everybody. Mm-hmm. At the end. And he finally says, once again, his catchphrase for the first time in the issue. Gnark! Gnark! <laughs> I love that. Man, it's such a good catchphrase. When I get really mad, like, if I'm going to just attack the shit out of somebody or just scream my own name wouldn't work as well. <laughs> Corey! No, you make you sound like a Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, not since I wouldn't transform or anything. Um, Pokemons I, don't transform. Isn't that their thing? No, you're thinking of Transformers. No, you know what I mean. They no. morph from from a, no, you're from a, of power a regular form into a fighting form. No. I sh- they eventually evolve, but then they're in that form forever. You might be thinking of Digimon. 
I might be just conflating all of those things that I you think mentioned. You might be. That's okay. Um, so I did have one other piece of dialogue from the from the second story. It's a mover who is also referred to as a cycle hood. Yeah, like the hyphenated word. Yeah, which I thought was pretty cool. All right, no, it's it's actually not mover. It's his it's his more reasonable buddy. Yeah, who doesn't have a name? I don't think. Yeah, uh, I called him Cycle Hood One. I bet his name's Shaker. Mover. That would Shaker. explain his uh, pacifism. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and why he doesn't want them to hang out with the girls. This is love because uh, Shakers aren't allowed to fuck. They just got to make furniture all the time. And yep. That's it. God, that sucks. That's why there aren't any Shakers. <laughs> Literally, that that's why there are not any more shakers is because it was a founding precept of their religion that they could never have sex. So they had to go recruit new ones each generation. And eventually it's a little bit off putting to some people that you can never have sex, Uh, but you get to make this chair. Oh man. It's It's a really nice chair. They put a lot of really nice chair. You can feel the passion Mm -hmm. when you sit in them, but don't, don't do it. Don't feel any passion. So on page eight, uh, cycle hood, Shaker says, uh, we can't afford a rumble. The fuzz are laying for us as it is. Which yeah. is a weird... I, first of all, I love it whenever anybody refers to the cops as the fuzz. Sure, it's adorable. It sounds funny and yeah. cute. Laying for us also. I guess that must be a, a 60s way of saying they're out to get us. Yeah, or, I, or just like a made-up way of saying that that nobody ever said. I think my favorite slang for the police is... Uh, I was listening to some 90s rap the other day, because mm. I'm a reasonable person. Is... Uh, Calling the police the popo. Oh, yeah. Because it's adorable. Mm-hmm. And it, like, generally it's people, the, the people in the rap songs that are saying it seem to have an antagonistic relationship with the police. Mm-hmm. But it's such an affectionate nickname. It makes it sound like like 90s rap is the police's nephew. Mm. <laughs> and, like, yeah, it was I couldn't pronounce police when I was a little kid, so I would call him Uncle Popo. Mm. And now, I mean, it's a little bit embarrassing for me. Uh, and it's, you know, I think it's a little bit embarrassing for the police, too, but the family still thinks it's really cute, so... It just stuck. Yeah. Hmm. Everybody calls him Popo now. Yeah, yeah. No, I like that. That's a good cop name. Yeah. Favorite panel? On, uh, page one of the original story, Gnark Smirk. Oh, the Gnark Smirk is fucking epic. Yep. That's great. He's so Kelsey Grammer. Total, total Kelsey Grammer. I do like, too, it really does look like Donna is doing the -the over-the-top thing. (laughs) Like, if you look at the wrist action that it's getting. Oh, yeah. I mean, she doesn't have a baseball cap on backwards, but... She should. Yeah, uh, if she would totally be getting that kid's custody. Such a good movie. It's been a while. I'll have to refresh on it. Um, Sylvester Stallone wins the arm wrestling tournament to win his son's uh, custody of his son. Yeah. Against Robert Loja. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a perfectly acceptable story. I just yeah, no, it's seen a great it for story. a while. Yeah, well, um, remedy that. You know his name in the movie? No, I don't remember. Lincoln Hawk. That's a badass name. It's a great name. <laughs> wow. All right, so yeah, page one, uh, Gnark Smirk, and then the other one from that story for me that's buying is also Gnark Panel, and it's page four, and it's Sad Gnark. Oh, I had Sad Gnark also. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, did, I did not quite have the Gnark Smirk, but it was... Close. I had the Gnark freak out on page 18, where he's just going berserk. Gnark! Yeah, just Gnark! Yep. And just Gnarking people. There's a lot of good sound effects in that fight panel, too. But, yeah. Gnark! He's broken loose! He's still wearing a dress and just beating the crap out of everybody with a a biff, a thud, a whack, and a quam. Yeah. And uh, it's pretty great. 
Did you have a favorite panel from the backup story? Yeah, I, I had two also that were vying for first place in that. Page one, I called it Gimpy Dove Hates His Costume, <laughs> and that's the one that I described that's earlier. pretty good, yeah. He just looks horrified at this thing that's appeared on him. He's almost like wringing his hands and at, <laughs> with horror at this costume he's wearing. Yeah. And then um, on page three, Hawk transforms, and that's... Uh, that sort of montage panel, they both get one, but I like talks better where he screams his name and, it, and it's this kind of... See, I actually had Dove's panel for that. Oh. Yeah, his, he's just yelling the name Dove and then you see his face mm. in the background behind him, a giant version of his face in monotone and then a silhouette of him leaping butt first into the panel. Yep. But yeah, no, those are both really great. And in Hawks, is he going butt first too? I don't think so. Not as cool. <laughs> no, no, he's he's doing the like I'm so full of power, like clenching his fist and throwing his head back. Thing. Yep. Yeah, pretty badass. Yeah, not pretty as tough. badass as leaping butt first out a window. <sighs> Jury's out. Equal time for butts, Corey. I'm not. A, I'm it's not time has that. come. Okay, okay. Equal butt act. All right. <laughs> EBA all the way. So, what do you think Aqualad was probably up to? I wonder. If you found a way to do this, I okay. So what he's at, what he's what he's up to actually is is as you know he's he's a big music fan and and uh, he likes Bowie sure. a lot. And uh, June of seventy two is when um when the Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust dropped. So he's basically waiting he's in line at Tower Records to get right, that, and then just staying at home and listening to it. Yeah, but, over and over. So that's what he's doing. But what I wanted to tie him to is the uh, the Watergate arrest. Oh, okay. Or, no, you, here's you what's happening. Here's I. I let me tell you okay. what Aqualad is probably up to. I couldn't figure out how he was involved in that. But well, let me hold on though. So, and you may touch on this also, but the reason that I really wanted to tie him to that is because I realized that in my research, the organization, the Committee for the Re- Re-election of the President, Creep, which, which is Creep, like yeah. in capital letters, is totally got to be like a front for some bad guy criminal organization you know it, other it other it was <laughs> but like in a comic booky actually yeah it, it was, was wasn't it? <laughs> there's actually a great uh steve engelhart arc on captain america where the bad guy is richard nixon mm. uh as the president and okay. you find out that he's also a supervillain, and it's awesome and it was inspired by this but what aqualad is probably up to is as you mentioned uh, before, Aqualad is a big baseball fan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was thinking about trying to start an Atlantean baseball league that would be in competition with a Major League Baseball. Wait, but those kids could throw with their sea-strengthened oh, yeah. arms. Yeah, but not underwater. It'd be really tough to get that ball going underwater. Well, that's what I mean. They practice down there. Yeah, they Once practice they down there. Right, side, exactly. Zing it. So he had a lot of interest in what was going on with the Supreme Court right then, mm. which was the antitrust exemption for baseball hearing that was happening. I am not familiar with that. Uh, there was a there was a case that was before the Supreme Court where baseball was uh, ruled to be a monopoly, Major League Baseball, mm. and so there was there had to be an exemption to that antitrust law to allow baseball to operate. Mm. So. Aqualad's watching that with a great deal of concern. Mm-hmm. So he decides he needs to stay in Washington mm-hmm. to keep uh, up on these events. Oh, okay. Now, you're an Atlantean teen mm-hmm. staying in Washington. Mm-hmm. You're picking out a hotel to stay at. Mm. What one do you think you're going to stay at? Uh, I'm not familiar with Washington. Watergate. <laughs> He's Aqualad. So he decides to stay there. Of course. 
He's still an Atlantean, though. Mm. And so every hour, he is out of his room going down to the pool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In the hallways, he ends up running across mm. these dudes. Mm-hmm. Seem like they're mm-hmm. some, up to something sh- shady. He hears the acronym Creep. He doesn't like creeps. Mm. Creeps are like his least fucking favorite. Yeah. So he uh, alerts the authorities. Boom. One thing leads to another. Uh-huh. Those five dudes get arrested. and They sure do. The rest is history. The rest is history. And that, my friend, is what Aqualad was probably up to. But he's also probably really enjoying the fuck out of that Ziggy Stardust album. I think so. Yeah, it's a good album. Yeah. Pretty good. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a lot of fun. And I hope you will join us next week. Man, we are getting up there. Next week we'll be hitting issue number 40. There's only a, only a little over a dozen more issues to go. Hard to believe it. Got to figure out what we're doing next. Indeed. So, uh, if you would like to have some input as to what we should do next, it is looking probably pretty likely like we will hit at least some of the new Titans stuff in some regard. I'm still considering if we should maybe alternate that with Power Man and Iron Fist. I think that might be kind of fun. Ooh, that's good. I read that um, before. Yeah, it's, like it's really fun. And I, I want to keep having some ties to the 70s era as... The Teen Titans move out of that era. I think that might be an interesting way to anchor it. But I would definitely value your input. If you'd like to contact us, please do so. You can reach me at ttwasteland at gmail.com or jump on our Facebook page. Or uh, if you would like to, you can send us messages through Tumblr. Yeah, we're, we're all over that goddamn internet. If you feel like writing us a review on iTunes, that'd be nice. Hell, if you feel like giving me some money. We've got a Patreon page set up at patreon.com backslash ttwasteland. So you can check us out there, and uh, I'd like to thank some of the people that donated recently. I don't have uh, an air horn access, otherwise. I'm, yeah, that's I, right. I would, you don't I have would, an air horn I access. I would keep it in your honor, folks. <laughs> so yes, we have uh, recently gotten donations from Chad, Stephanie, Kelly, Miles, and Jay. So thanks, guys, so much for contributing. It really means a lot to me, both obviously monetarily, but just knowing that uh, you guys are out there and appreciate what we're doing enough that you want to contribute. And thank you for that. Yeah, this has been terrific. And like Aquaman said after coming out of the pool, I get to live another hour. Enjoy! Enjoy!